Matthew chapter 23, we begin with just really today, just a single verse that I wanna camp out on. Matthew 23, verse 37 for our text. And there we read, Jesus, red letters, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stone them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Again, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stones them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Interesting example here. Um, it's a simile, actually, uh, like or as, if I recall in my English classes from high school. Uh, um, Jesus said, I would have gathered you even as a mother hen gathers her chickens. Um, what an interesting simile used here. In fact, as we kind of divide this up, let's, let's take a hard look at this little uh, section excuse me, of, of scripture. It's, uh, the first thing we start is this interesting uh, example, uh, a mother hen gathering her chicks. Um, it's amazing that, you know, I, I think that Jesus was so secure in his manliness that he could use an example like this. Uh, how many of you guys would go up to the job site, you know, construction and you know, the burn barrel in the morning, you're kind of getting ready, you go up and, oh, you guys, I care about you so much. Well, how much do you care about us? As a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, <laughs> They would probably beat you up if you said that on the job site today. <laughs> um, but I do love this, uh, this example Jesus gives, and it's because um, there's so much to this, and I think we're supposed to get the nuances of this. And by the way, um, I, I love these analogies that the Bible gives that are timeless, or at least they used to be. I mean, nowadays, most of us, when you think of chickens, unless you're one of those people that have chickens in your backyard, which I guess right now is a good time to do that as eggs are hard to get. Uh, but uh, but uh, as it turns out, uh, you know, most people don't really know. When you think of a chicken, you're thinking Chick-fil-A or Chicken McNuggets. Uh, but, um, but I grew up on a little farm. Uh, we had a small farm and I knew chickens well, uh, just growing up. There was one chicken particularly, it was a big rooster. He was a big red rooster and man, he was tall. At least, you know, I was like four or five years old so I saw eye to eye with this chicken. Uh, but this rooster, man, he was just nasty. We, we, we joked that he was demon possessed. Um, but he, he particularly didn't like my sister Tammy who was one year older than I and, and Jenny, who was two years older than I, Jenny and I would kind of watch this chicken chase my sister Tammy around the barnyard all the time. It was hilarious. And, and it was crazy. Like, like Tammy would walk in, the chicken would be nowhere to be found. Uh, you know, you wouldn't see the rooster anywhere. Um, and then Tammy would walk in the barnyard and she'd look around and make sure the rooster wasn't there. And then she'd close the barnyard gate. And I'm not kidding, like clockwork, if, as soon as the latch clicked on the gate, click, the demon-possessed rooster would come chasing after her. And she'd be running, ah, you know, running all around the barnyard. And we watched this for a long time. But one afternoon, my dad came on the scene and my dad said, kids, come here. I'm gonna show you how to, you gotta show this rooster who's boss. And so my dad marched up to the rooster and the rooster like, and, and he grabbed the rooster by the ankles. Do, do chickens have ankles? I don't know. Anyway, he grabbed uh, this rooster by the feet and just kind of held it upside down. And there was like, ah! hanging there and, and as kids we were shocked you know we thought that rooster would like it was it was too much to do something like that 
But my dad, you know, then he set the rooster down and the rooster took off in total fear and trepidation. And my sister Tammy looked with a gleam in her eye and she said, next time I come in the barnyard, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and she was like six. So Jenny and I are like, we'll see about that, you know. But sure enough, like a few days later, Tammy goes out of the barnyard, latches the latch on the barn door or barnyard door gate, and, um, and sure enough, the demon-possessed chicken came chasing after her, and she, with great strength, she, she walked vigorously forward toward the rooster. And Jenny and I, we're watching safely from the house, from the upstairs window, looking down in the barnyard. I thought, this is gonna be great, watch this. And, um, and so there, Tammy, she marches to the chicken and she dives for its ankles like an NFL tackle. Uh, and she grabs the chicken and with all of her might lifts it up like this. And there it is, ah! this little six-year-old girl. It's like Tammy was looking around. Anybody seeing this? Look, everybody, like we weren't there, but we were watching. Um, but true story, she set that rooster down and the rooster took off and uh, never bothered her ever again. Uh, it, was, it started bothering me from that day forward. <laughs> but but um, you say, Brett, what does that have to do with the teaching today? Uh, nothing, I, I don't know why I told you that. Uh, no, actually, I, I know chickens. Like, like this analogy that Jesus gives, I have visual images in my mind with our, our mother hens gathering their little chicks under the covering of their wing. And it, it is kind of a, a, an endearing image, to say the least. Um, when when uh, Brooke, my oldest, uh, when she was only uh, in kindergarten, uh, the kindergarten class there at Sherwood, um, they had little chick, chicks they were raising in the classroom and uh, each child got to bring home a couple chicks every weekend to take care of them over the weekend and then they'd bring them back on Monday. Well, uh, this one particular weekend was the Metter weekend to take the chicks from the classroom. So Brooke brought them in a little box with a little light and a little feeder and the water thing and, and we brought in, and man, there we were in the middle of our living room playing with these little chicks and stuff and uh, and Debbie and I stepped out into the kitchen just for a second and came back and suddenly we noticed a couple of the chicks were gone and Joey was gone, who was three or four years old at that time. And we're like, uh-oh, where did Joey go? And, and the girl's like, we don't know. So we said, let's find him. And we looked all over the house and we couldn't find Joey. Joey's our worship director here now, the guy that sings songs up here a lot. But, but when he was like, you know, little guy, he, 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 we found him finally outside. He took two of the chicks, ran outside in the rain, and he found this kind of soupy mud puddle. And he thought it was brilliant to take a little chick and go, Poof. and then he'd pick up the other one, pick it up, Poof. and just kind of over and over. Uh, and we're like, Joey, stop. And see, you know, he's still young. We, we really didn't live on a farm. So we had to kind of say, Joey, you gotta treat animals, you know, with kindness and you can't do that. And Joey's like, oh, and we, and we took the little chicks. They were a little, we weren't sure if they were alive. They were just covered in this slimy mud. Um, uh, and so Debbie picked up, you know, we grabbed these little chicks and brought them in and we weren't sure if they were alive and we set them next to the kitchen sink and sort of rinsed them off in the sink and, um, you know, fluffed them back up and Deb went to the bathroom, got the blow dryer and trying to, trying to bring these little chicks back to life. Sure enough, they kind of started moving around and, and then standing there, again, they'd stand. Um, but you know that little sweet little uh, chick sound they make, you know, that kind of thing? Well, these little chicks didn't sing anymore. Um, I don't know. They just sort of stared off into space. Um, but at least we didn't have to go to Wilco and get a couple imposters, you know, and bring them, oh, the chicks did great this weekend. Uh, even their little changing of the colors of the feathers, it's amazing. We didn't have to do that, so. Uh, but we did bring them back alive. 
But you say, well, what does that have to do with today's teaching? Well, everything. You see, Jesus uses an imagery of, of a mother hen with her little chicks, and chicks are defenseless. Little chicks have no ability to defend themselves. Uh, they're just tiny, lightweight little things that can barely even, uh, you know, when you get pecked on a finger, you can't even feel it. It's so light. Uh, what, and, and that's the point. The imagery here is that of helplessness, uh, the chicks. If the, if the Lord Jesus is saying, I, I would have gathered you like a mother hen, that makes us, that makes the Jews that he's talking directly to, that makes them the ones that are totally unable to defend themselves or help themselves. Um, and so we, we want to consider these loving words uh, that Jesus is actually giving, but you also sense a little bit of heartbrokenness when he says, oh, Jerusalem. You see, in these three chapters, 23, 24, 25, we have all red letters, if you'll notice, or for the most part, and it's because these are the longest dissertations Jesus would give. Um, this chapter 23, Jesus is talking to the multitudes of the Jews, and then in 24, 25, he's going to give the Olivet Discourse, mostly to his disciples. Um, and that's going to be interesting to say the least. But, but all this to say, he's speaking to the multitudes. He's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, all of Israel. He's, he's kind of saying, don't you understand how often I would have gathered you up together under the shadow of my protective wing? But you would not. That's the sad part of this. And you, you almost get a sense, in fact, we'll see on Wednesday night that tears were probably involved with Jesus's talking about this, where he's, he's even weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, why wouldn't you let me cover and protect you? That was his heart. That was his desire. But as it turns out, the, the Jews, they would not have it. They said, we will not have this man rule over us. Um, so all this is saying he wanted to protect. protect. Now in this imagery, uh, things I think about when I think about a mother hen and her chicks, there's a bunch of fun stuff that I think is kind of cool in this analogy. The first thing is a happy association. Um, that is to be associated with other chicks and to be together with the mom. If you've ever seen a mother hen and her little chicks following after, and there's something kind of cool, a happy little chicken family there. Maybe you've seen it on the river with ducks, uh, you know, the little baby ducks following the mom, mom duck. There's, there's kind of a neat little duck family or chicken family here. And, and the reason I say that is Jesus wants to gather us as a mother hen gathers her chicks, which means um, that's part of what we do, by the way, when we gather together as a church family. Um, maybe you've learned that a church can be and should be a place where you find father, mother, sister, brother, even though they may not be your biological family. You can find, if, if you let your heart get there, uh, a family at a church. The reason this is troubling to me is there's this thing in modern day Christianity where we've become jaded and angry toward the church as an institution. I'm not into organized religion. I hear that all the time. The problem with your little theory of being not into organized religion, as it turns out, Jesus is into organized religion. And the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner or custom of some is. Um, if you're a person that, I don't, well, I'm probably talking to the wrong people, you're here. But if you were dragged here, or if you're watching online saying, I don't like organized religion, but I'll listen online or whatever, and you're mad at the church, uh, you might be missing out on one of the beautiful things that God would have for you. Uh, well, Brett, I find the church flawed and there's sinners there. Newsflash, we all know that. And it's been that way from the very beginning of time. Uh, and, and as it turns out, even with your normal family, your biological family, uh, there's sin there too. Hello. You're going to find failure and flaws and people saying stupid things with a regular family. You see that also in the church family. 
But just because the church is not perfect doesn't mean you should just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, you, you gotta actually realize there's benefit of the letting Jesus gather us together as a church family. I like the happy association that's seen. Don't be the lone chicklet. A lone chicklet is a dangerous chicklet where you could be a, you know, uh, in a happy meal real soon. Uh, you know, uh, you don't wanna do that. Which brings us to the second thing. Um, not only happy association, but we also see a cover for safety. And this Example Jesus gives, he, he talks about the safety of the covering of the, the, the hen. Now, by the way, if you don't know, hens seem fairly docile and not really able to protect, but all you gotta do is look up some YouTube videos of hens defending her chicklets. You'll be shocked. Uh, there's great, I mean, it's amazing what a chicken can do when it's defending its little chicklets. But, but you know, on our farm, the main predators we had, probably number one were coyotes. Uh, once in a while, we'd find a gutted chicken in our barnyard. Uh, because some coyote came and um, and, and uh, raccoons <coughs> also were a predator uh, where, where I grew up uh, pretty bad um, same same as up here I think and then also your average dog now for you Portlandia people that think dogs are people um, <coughs> and, and where I grew up if a dog started eating chickens that dog would get shot by the farmers and stuff uh, because once you get a taste for chicken uh, you're always going to go back uh, just like you guys that are Chick-fil-A people uh, you, you'll always go back right um, but that's the same with a dog so they would shoot the dog um, you had to train your dog not to go to the neighbor's chickens um, and that was part of the deal but as it turns out this analogy of the, the you know little chicks that are very vulnerable the Bible warns us there's, there's a predator that wants to mess you up and uh, have a little chicken McNugget out of you. Um, you know, it's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because the devil, your adversary, is a roaring lion uh, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Um, that's the truth. We need to be protected because the enemy wants to wipe you out. Um, so whatever the predator, the mother hen is there to protect the chicks and the enemy wants to uh, you know, take you, but Jesus says, I would have covered you uh, in, uh, under my, my wing. Now, this gets back to the Psalm that we read before at the very beginning of the service. When we read Psalm 91, did you hear what we read there in the, the, the Psalm about the protection uh, of, of God's people? It was Psalm 91 verse four that said, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now this is where I love the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. When Jesus uses this analogy as a mother hen gathers her chicks, this isn't the first time this imagery is in the Bible. Hundreds of years earlier, a thousand years earlier, the psalmist would write this and say, um, this is what God wants to do. <coughs> Excuse me, for the Jews, he wants to put them under his wings and you should trust his wing. And then he tells us what his wing is. Moving from the, you know, the metaphor or the simile here, we move to what it really is. The wing of covering is his truth. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. This is an interesting bit of information when we think of Jesus wanting to cover us. How does he cover us? With his wing, with his, with his truth. Isn't it interesting today that truth is becoming more and more rare? The idea of hearing things that are true, um, man, deception is on a rampage today. You and I are living in one of the most deceitful, untrue times maybe in history. And it has a lot to do with how much information is given out with all the, you know, the, the you know, 
pieces of information that come flooding into our heads every day, mainstream media, advertising, movies. Like how much of that is truth and how much of it is false? I think we're seeing more false lies and deception than any other time in history right now. Which by the way, should tell us about the days we're living. That's one of the reasons out of many that I believe it's possible that we're living in the last days. Uh, remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4? He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or teaching is the word doctrine, instruction. Um, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Instead of wanting to hear the truth, they don't even care about wanting to hear the truth anymore. They wanna hear fables. Why do they wanna hear fables instead of truth? Because they want to go after their own lusts and heap to themselves people who will teach them more about how they can lust even better. Does that sound familiar? What is this truth so-called uh, that we hear about gender today? Um, boy, the world is cramming down our throats their so-called truth about there's two genders, there's no, not two genders, there's, there's an infinite number of genders. And suddenly, even though for thousands of years we've known biologically there's male and female, and the Bible even tells us God created them, male and female, male and female, did he create them? So when people say that's not true, they're flying in the face of God saying they know more than God. And what's amazing is people believe there's more than two genders. There's a lot of people who are embracing something that's just biologically wrong and the fables like men can be pregnant and have babies. That's just not true. Uh, and if you think it's true, man, take a biology class. Uh, like it's so basic, it's so sad. And you say, well, Brett, you're just a bigoted, homophobic, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what happens when you say, well, that's not true. People just go to calling names, but there's no real backing of what they say because it's not true. But people will heap unto themselves teachers They'll pile on more and more teachers who are willing to say stuff that's just not true. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing that exponentially today. Um, which is kind of interesting because I think people are hungry for the truth. I think we've been at this long enough now in the last several years where people are weary and even fearful. You don't, almost you don't wanna hear anything anymore because like, what do we know is true? Like what, what, what news agency can you watch? And the answer, I have no idea. Like, good luck with that, finding truth. That's why I love teaching the Bible, because I know that the Bible is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, we have to understand that Jesus is the truth. Everything Jesus says, everything the word of God, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God and dwelt among us and became flesh. Like, this, this is the truth. I'm so thankful I get to handle something that's true today. And yet what's interesting is Jesus is making this, if you put all the pieces together, he's saying, oh, if you would have come into the shadow of my wing, the covering of my wing, truth, the truth, and that's Jesus who embodies truth, then I would have protected you. But you would not, Jesus says. So we have here this interesting simile about uh, the covering. So we have a happy association, cover for safety, but thirdly, a source of comfort. When I see this illustration of the mother hen and gathering her chips, there's something peaceful and sweet about that. The mother hen covering and you know, staying warm under the mother's you know, wing. There's, there's a beauty, I think, in that. <laughs> um, it reminds me of some of the things uh, growing up watching mother hens and chicks in our little farm. We had a little farm uh, where we had chickens, sheep, cows, 
uh, both beef and dairy. Uh, we had horses. Uh, we even raised quail for a while. Quail eggs are delicious, by the way. They just, you need like 12 of them for one omelet. But um, uh, anyway, uh, it, it was fun growing up on a farm. It was a lot of work. But we had lots of chickens. And, and uh, my mom and dad, you know, it's, it's funny because... Um, when I grew up, we, we, we weren't wealthy at all. Like um, uh, much of my young childhood, I spent living in a travel trailer. We were not uh, wealthy people, but my dad was a hard worker. And, um, and you know, eventually we were able to afford a little piece of property and then my parents built a house. Uh, and then we, um, we built this little barn. But one thing about my mom, she was always really got an eye for good decor and keeping things you know, beautified and, and pretty. Even when we lived in a travel trailer, she made sure the curtains were sweet and everything was all nice. That was my mom. But when we built the barn, I'm telling you, I was wanting to live in the barn. It was a cute little barn. She put curtains up in the barn and these, the chickens were living large in our little barn um, there. But um, it was very cozy, a little warm glow of light coming. Half the barn was for us milking our cows. We had a little stall that we'd put Rosie and Daisy in there, Jersey cows. Uh, Jerseys are serious milk cows. Uh, we had, Daisy used to give us, there was a time she gave us eight gallons a day of milk. Half of it was cream, the other half was milk. Um, but I digress. Um, the, the other side of the barn was for chickens and it was cozy and it had the little heater and little curtains and stuff. But I remember as a little kid just watching the little chicks get under the, the, the wing of the mother and it was just such a, a there was like a, a comforting vibe there. And I think that's part of what the imagery Jesus is employing here is to uh, talk about comfort. Um, that he would have gathered as a mother hen gathers her wings. Does the Lord care about your comfort? Does he care about you being comforted? Well, the answer is yes. In Philippians chapter four, verse seven, we're reminded that, that God says you know, to us through Paul the apostle, he says, the peace of God, which passes understanding, um, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, he wants us to have a peace in, in our heart. Um, Jesus talked there in John chapter 16, verse seven, Jesus talked about to his disciples, it's good that I'm gonna leave, it's expedient that I leave you because when I leave, I'm gonna leave with you my comforter, capital C. Question, who is the comforter that Jesus would leave? The Holy Spirit. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to comfort his people. And Jesus is giving us this analogy, and I see not only happy association as a church family under his wing, but also cover for safety, but also a source of comfort. Um, and then also, similarly, but I don't wanna leave out this idea of the concept of love that protects. Brother, are you suggesting that a mother hen loves her little chicklets? Uh, I'm not into chicken psychology, I don't know the answer to that. But I definitely know that's part of what the Bible teaches as far as the protecting nature of Jesus saying, oh, you can hear it in his heart when he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Why does he say it twice? Because he's heartbroken. He loves the people and wants to protect them and have them. He said, oh, how often have I wanted to gather you under my, my wing, but you would not. Um, but that's what love does. First Corinthians 13 is sort of considered the love chapter and the New International Version, uh, verse 13, Chapter 13, verse seven says, um, love always protects, always protects. That's what love does. And it always trusts and always hopes and always, always perseveres. But this idea of always protecting, that's what true love does, protects. And so the love of God for you is that he wants to put you under the shadow of the covering of his wing and the Lord wants to do that. So um, we have number one, an interesting simile, uh, and this is worth just kind of praying about, meditating on. The second component of this that I'd like to talk about, what God does to gather his people. 
And what is it that God is doing? Because Jesus is making a claim. Man, I, I, how often did I try to gather you under my wing? How did God try to gather? Let's go to the people locally here in this story, the Jews. How did God try to gather the Jews together under his protective wing? Well, this is why I love being a through the Bible teaching church, because if you've been here for a couple years, two, three years, you were with me when we were in Isaiah and Jeremiah and going through the prophets. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to speak his truth to the Jews. And the message was always the same. Follow the Lord, break off your sins, don't worship idols and, and um, seek the Lord and, and the Lord will protect you. And he'll put you under the covering of his wing. Um, and the prophets said this over and over and over again. What's interesting is the Lord seeks to draw men to himself and he did that by using the prophets. Did you know that um, you never really had a desire to follow the Lord? Yes, I did, Brett. What do you know about me? You didn't. You didn't have a desire to follow it. Well, I did. No, you didn't. Brett, you want to argue today? Yes, I want to argue with you because the scriptures actually tell us that you and I don't even really have that in us to seek God. In fact, one of those scriptures is John 6, 44, where, um, you know, Jesus said this um, in John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up the last day. So if you felt drawn to the Lord, that wasn't you, that was the Lord who started that. He put it in your heart to be drawn to the Lord. The word draw is a great word there in that verse um, because the word draw just has kind of a simple uh, meaning in the English, but when you look it up in the Greek text, it's this word helkuo, um, and it, it, it means to pull in, to drag, to draw, to haul in. There's a little more of a dragging and hauling uh, that's involved. Some of you guys came to the Lord that way, kicking and screaming. I won't ask for a show of hands. But some of you, it took a while and you were, you were fighting it and you weren't, you know, but you didn't have it in you to say, yeah, I want to be a follower of Jesus and, and walk with Jesus. Some of you just had that and that wasn't in you at all. But as it turns out, the Bible says none of us had that. We were all drawn in by the Lord. That's the way the Lord works. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New, our time, um, and and, and you, what you have to understand is the Lord, if you've, if you've been saved, if you've accepted Jesus, clearly um, his drawing of you was in effect. Um, it's a one-sided affair where God draws us. God does the drawing to salvation. Um, we who are drawn by the Lord sort of have a, a bit of a passive role in the whole uh, pro process. Um, no doubt you and I have to choose and respond to his drawing. Uh, but drawing itself comes from the Lord. I want you to know that, this helkuo, um, unless he draws you. And so here's Jesus saying, man, how often would I have gathered you? When did Jesus gather? When did God gather the Jews? Whole Testament, all the prophets. And it says, but you would not. And Jesus even starts this whole thing out with this, you've killed the prophets and you stoned them with stones. You remember poor Jeremiah? I mean, when we read Jeremiah, 42 years of ministry, how many people listened to Jeremiah the prophet? Zero. Not one person listened to Jeremiah. I would have hung it up like in the first month. You know, after no one listening, not one person responding, I'd say, you know what? In fact, Jeremiah, there's a great part of Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, I no longer am gonna speak the word of the Lord. Um, I'm done. And he like was checking it in, saying, I'm done. And then Jeremiah says, but then there was this burning in my bones I couldn't restrain from speaking the word of the Lord. 
Um, thank the Lord for the faithful Jeremiah. Not one person listened to him, but they hated him. Uh, what did they do to Jeremiah? One of the stories after he gave the word of the Lord, the people said, yeah, we don't like you. And they threw him in a dungeon that was neck deep in mud. So there's Jeremiah in a damp, dark dungeon, neck deep in mud, just sitting there. Uh, that's a tough day at the office right there. But Jeremiah... Um, they, they, they rejected every word he ever said. Isaiah the prophet, they hated him too. Uh, Isaiah was an amazingly eloquent, intelligent prophet. Very few listened to him. But um, uh, history tells us that he was killed brutally. Some say he was sawn in half like James in the New Testament. Uh, that, that's a tough way to go. But Jesus is now calling the Jews. See, in this chapter 23, he's talking to the multitudes in Jerusalem and he's saying, you guys, oh, Jerusalem, all of the Jews, you, you've rejected my loving invitation to be under the covering, the protection of my wings, and so you've been on your own, and, and you, you've, you've missed it. I tried to draw you. So what, what God does to sort of woo his people or gather his people is he sent the prophets. You say, well, but that's the Old Testament. What about us? Well, he, we have the prophets as well and the whole story of the Old Testament, but we also have the New Testament. You and I have even less of an excuse because we've seen the Old Testament the way that what happened with the Jews. And by the way, even though the Jews are in big trouble when Jesus is talking to them right here, God still has a plan for the Jews. I don't want you to forget that. Uh, God is not done with the Jews. He still loves the Jews. Um, and the Jews did better than we would have done had we been given that same responsibility, but they failed. And there's coming a day, we'll show that in a second, when, uh, when the Jews will be saved. But, but what about us? We have the whole Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we have the word of God and, and it's clearly written out of what, how the Lord loves us. And, and yet still people reject the Bible. Still people say to Jesus, yeah, we're not gonna be under the covering ring. We don't want any of that. And they reject and they despise Jesus just like the Jews of Jerusalem did. And the Lord Jesus would say to you, oh, how often have I tried to reach out and draw you to myself? Could some of you watching online or maybe some of you that are here in this room that the Lord's reached out? How often has he reached out to you? But for whatever reason, you've been resistant to be under the covering of his wing. You know, goofy, you know, arguments. Well, I don't like the church and I don't like Pastor Brett and I don't like this and that. Well, yeah, uh, join the crowd. Um, but that's not the question. The question is, are you gonna accept the invitation of Jesus Christ to be your savior? And he's tried to draw you. And that's part of this whole message today is the Lord's just saying, I would have gathered you. Uh, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, there's so many people that try to make that claim. And I'll just say this, people who reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, they, um, they do that only because it really contradicts them. That's the truth of the matter. The Bible is this amazing book that's withstood the test of time and these so-called contradictions. There's good answers for all the ones that are goofy that people raise up. But all that to say, God has spoken through his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. And it's that path that leads you to be under Christ's care and covering and protection. Apart from being under the shadow of his wing, you and I are toast. Um, and before moving on to this next point, um, this, this, I've got this marked in my verse here, verse 37. I've got the words, how often would I have gathered um, you know, thy children together? There's no ac actual number, but, the, but implied many times. How often has the Lord tried to gather you to himself? Um, that's important to know. Well, all that to say, um, 
The problem is if you've been around long enough, you can find yourself being invited to follow the Lord, but you, you start to have what the Bible calls a seared conscience where no longer are you being wooed by the Lord. Like, yeah, I've heard that sermon. Yeah, 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 I know that the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sort of just continue to be the chick that's the lone chick ready to be a chicken McNugget or a mud dipping chicken in the Metter household. You don't wanna be there in that vulnerable place, but you need to be in the place of protection. First Timothy 4.2, Paul told Timothy, he said, oh, there's coming a day where they'll speak lies in hypocrisy, but having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. You know, this is by the way, not only for the unbeliever and the person who needs to be drawn to Jesus, but if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's true that we have this propensity as little chicks to walk out again out of his covering, don't we? You know, when you go and do stuff that's sinful and wrong, you're putting yourself out there again and you're not dwelling in that place, abiding in that place of safety. You know, uh, that's when Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not everything's expedient or profitable. Um, so you, you could go and do sinful stuff and you can hear the sermons and, and eventually you just kind of get more and more calloused to where you're not even really listening anymore. And you go, yeah, yeah, good sermon, good Bible study, but you don't even realize you're actually kind of far away from the protection of his wing. You might be saved going to heaven, but you're still vulnerable to the evil one who wants to mess you up still. And the repercussions of sinfulness is there. Are you, how often has Jesus come to you and said, yeah, break off those sins? <laughs> Charles Adam Spurgeon, you know, um, he said this, he was a preacher in London in the 1800s. Um, and he was known for his kind of a way of putting things, but he, he talked about, you know, people that are used to hearing sermons, but really aren't listening. They're good at listening to sermons or hearing, but not taking them to heart. He said, they are like the blacksmith's dog that will go to sleep under the anvil when the sparks are flying all around him. It is possible to get used to anything in life. That's a good word. Uh, I love the imagery there. There's the, the blacksmith. Ping, ping, ping. Sparks are flying. Heat is, you know, red glow, iron everywhere. And the dog's just sleeping under the anvil. <laughs> like that, that's a picture of some of us. As the sparks fly from the word of God and God's lovingly, but, you know, reaching out to you, but you just kind of go, yeah, I've heard the sermon. I know about Jesus. I on the cross for my sins. But are you... Are you that dog? By the way, speaking of Spurgeon, he spoke of verse 37 of, of uh, Matthew 23, and he said this about the Lord in one of his sermons. He said, believe me, if you have but a spark of desire after Christ, he has a whole furnace of desire after you. Oh, that you would have him as your savior. Here's the preacher from the 1800s kind of saying the same thing with his longing heart as Jesus. Oh, that you would have come and I would have gathered you, Jerusalem, as a mother hen gathers her chicks under the shadow of her wings. So um, how, does God, what, how does God gather us? What does he do to gather us? He lovingly through his word, through the prophets, and by the way, through the saints he draws us. Uh, that's something for you to remember as a person who's safely tucked away under the shadow of his wing. One of the things you and I are supposed to do is to speak the truth, the word of God, to the unsaved so that they can hear the truth. Don't forget what Jesus told you and me to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's the good news of being saved. And make disciples and baptize people. That's not just Pastor Brett's job. That's all of us that are saved. We're supposed to, in a day of lacking truth, you and I have the truth to offer people. There's so many hurting people that need to hear the good news of the message of Jesus. 
And that really brings us to the third consideration on this interesting little verse. Um, what do men need to make them come to God? Um, this is an interesting thing because obviously there, Jesus says you, you, you would not. But what is a person who, who's in that place of rebellion saying I'm not gonna be under the covering? What, what do you need to do? What do we need to, to make that work or what happens? Well, it has to do with your will. God built you and me, according to the Bible, with a free will. And I'm still kind of wondering, depends on when you ask me, is free will a good thing or a bad thing? Don't you wish you had a free will switch? Like on the side of your head, just a little switch right here. Um, you know, and, and if you flip the switch, your free will is canceled. I think that'd be great. When you go to order at the restaurant, click. I would like some kale, please. <laughs> uh, or if you don't flip it, I'd like three hot fudge sundaes, two hamburgers, and a milkshake, you know, or whatever, like, like that, that switch. Wouldn't that be great to be able to cancel your free will? But I do thank the Lord that he built you and me with a free will. Because otherwise, we would just be robots, automatrons doing God's will, like, like the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, the automatrons there, yo-ho, yo-ho, all the day doing the same thing, uh, you know, because they're just, there's no will there. They're just an automatron. The problem is you and I, God says, I'm gonna give you a free will and you can do with it what you want, but it can get you into big trouble if you're not careful. Well, as it turns out, we have to deal with that will. And this is where the people of Jerusalem said, we will not have this man rule over us. And Jesus said, uh, you know, I would have gathered you, but you would not. That was the people stubborn will. And this is where it gets down to the basic issue. And let's talk about this for a second, the practical will. Practically, you need a repentant heart. Repentance means to say, okay, I'm wrong, God's right. And by that, I've been living in sin by rebelling against the loving call of Jesus. And so practically, you need to just have a practical resolve in saying, um, I'm gonna repent. And, and repentance is really just changing your will to line up with God's. That's really largely what repentance is. Um, not only a practical will, but also the Bible argues for an immediate sort of will. Um, you know, our hearts are not hardened maybe to Jesus. Maybe you're not a hardened person against Jesus, but maybe you're only asking for a little more time. Ah, why be saved today? I, I'll think about this Christian thing for a little, uh, give me a little more time, a little more time which to go rebelling and sinful against God, a little more time which to run. Um, but do you understand you're running the uh, um, um, risk of eternal destruction? Two problems with your putting off salvation uh, and not being immediate about changing your will. One is you never know when you're gonna die first. Two, um, you never know when God's gonna withdraw his spirit from you. Uh, remember in Genesis six, the Lord says, my spirit will not always strive with man. There's a point where God says, you want to do what you want to do? Okay, I'm going to let you do. Remember in Romans chapter one, there's all those people that reject the Lord and the Lord says, so I'm going to give them over to their own lusts. I'm going to give them over. That, that phrase is used over and over again. God forbid that any of you get to that place where God says, okay, you really, 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 really want that? I'm going to let you be that from now and forevermore, which that, that's the path that leads to eternal destruction. Um, but the Lord... He says there's a time, a favorable time. When does he say that? It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse two that says for, he says, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. 
Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You, you really don't wanna risk letting that day of salvation pass you by to where you get hardened so much that you actually never really do come around. So you need that, that um, uh, immediate will change. And that brings you to number three. So you got a practical will, immediate will, but number three, a settled will, to settle and say, this is what I'm gonna choose to follow the Lord. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday as well that you're following. And then fourthly, as far as the will goes, just submitted will, submissive. Um, you know, not your righteousness, but his righteousness. Um, you know, you know, the Lord will not force you to love him, but you are saying, I'm choosing to submit to his will, which means his love. And like I said, you can do whatever you want. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not everything's expedient or profitable. You can go do meth right after church today. And guess what? You might even still be saved in a Christian. Doing meth, yep. But you're gonna lose your teeth and you're gonna do stupid stuff and you're gonna get addicted to meth and that's gonna hurt you. Um, so why would you do such a thing? You gotta submit your will uh, because the, the sins that we do, you could go jump off a cliff if you want, but you're gonna be broken legs and arms and whatever else you break when you jump off that cliff. That's, that's really what the Jews do. Um, the Jews say, we will not let you rule us and we're gonna do our own thing. Uh, by the way, it's not just uh, chickens that are rebellious, little chicks that won't go under the covering of the wing. Jesus uh, talks about how he's the good sh shepherd in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known of mine, you know, John 10, 14. But Isaiah the prophet started that discussion in Isaiah 53, six, when he said, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way, like a rebellious little sheep going off in his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus, him, the iniquity of us all. Um, so the imagery of rebellious, you know, walking away and being stubborn, that's all throughout the Bible. Um, the problem is when we go our own way, we are set up for the wolves, the coyotes, and Joey to plop you in the mud. That's the problem. <laughs> That's what happens when we uh, don't give our will over to the Lord. Which brings us to the fourth and final consideration today. The question really is interesting. What will become of the people who are not gathered to Christ? Well, in Jesus' analogy of the mother hen gathering the chicks, he's talking specifically to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he's gonna give us the answer. He said, you already killed the prophets, you stoned them and killed them, and you said, we will not follow you, we will not be under your covering. So he tells them, let's look ahead, sneak preview of Wednesday night. Look at verse 38. He says to them, the Jews in Jerusalem, behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth. You're gonna see me no more until that you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if you know your Bible, they already said blessed is he that comes in the name. When did they do that, anybody? Palm Sunday, we read that a few chapters back. They were already saying that. But if you recall, they didn't know what they were saying then. And it's because they would say right after the Palm Sunday, they say, we will not have this man rule over us. This is what Jesus is referring to. And by the way, if you were with us on Wednesday night, um, Jesus gave all kinds of parables that are saying the same thing. He's really repeating the same narrative over and over again so they can get it. Remember we saw on Wednesday night the parable of the orchard and the orchard owner uh, had a bunch of you know, workers and he sent some servants to go and say, hey, uh, you know, do this. And the, the, the servants said, yeah, whatever. And they killed the, the other servants. 
And uh, eventually the owner said, man, they've killed my servants. So he says, I'm gonna send my son because I'll respect my son. And so the son came to the orchard and the the workers of the vineyard killed him as well. And then he made it clear who he was talking about, the religious leaders of the Jews. Like this is all the same narrative, even the mother hen gathering, I would have gathered you, but you would not. So what's gonna happen? Your, Your house is gonna be left unto you desolate. Now, for you Bible students, which house is he talking about, anybody? The temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem, which is their house. It was the place of worship, which was also a symbol of God's presence in their life. Um, And what happened? Well, after Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, shortly after that, it'd be as soon as 70 AD, Titus Longimaeus would come as the Roman general and just crush Jerusalem, killed tens of thousands of Jews, literally throw, throw Jewish people over the walls of the city and splattered on the rocks below. Um, tens of thousands of Jews killed. And what happened to the temple? Well, do you remember when Jesus, they, they were saying, hey, Jesus, check out the temple. Pretty impressive, isn't it? And Jesus said, yeah, not one of these stones will stay on the other. And people were like, what is he talking about? You see, you have to understand, they, they were stones, some of them were as big as school buses, those stones huge stones that Solomon had put uh, there. And then after Solomon's Zerubbabel's remodel and then Herod the Great, it's a long story about the stones, but they were big stones. Some of them size of a Volkswagen, some of them size of a bus. So when Jesus said, not one of these stones is gonna be staying on top of one another, people were like, how's that gonna happen? Well, here's what happened. When Titus came through, killed all those Jews, one of his soldiers took a flaming arrow and shot it through over the wall of the East Gate into the opening of the temple, the big you know, uh, 14 story doors that were entrance into the temple. And the flaming arrow went in and hit the tapestries and just the place went up. Uh, the, the temple became like a furnace, hot, everything burned inside. All the gold vessels, tons of gold stuff was in there. And the gold melted from that fervent heat down into the cracks of the rocks. And so when the dust settled and the temple was there, it was still standing, but the Titus said, now soldiers, I want you to take every stone and turn it over and get the gold that melted out of there. So the, all the soldiers took all the stones of the temple, you know, hundreds of soldiers, and threw the, the stones over the wall down toward the west side of the wall of the temple mount. You can go there to this day and see those same stones that were still sitting there from AD 70 when the Romans threw the stones over the wall. They're still sitting there, some of them. Um, But Jesus' prophecy came to pass perfectly. Not one of these stones will stay upon another. And that's what happened. And they got all the gold out of the cracks and then the Romans, then Jerusalem was desolate. See, Jesus is saying, destruction is your future. If you refuse to to be gathered, then I wanted to protect you, but when you're on your own, destruction is coming. And that's true even more so in some ways today when we realize what will happen to people who are not gathered to Christ. Well, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And if you don't have Christ in your life, you're gonna be held accountable for your sin and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be saved by Jesus if you are gathered unto him. You know, this world, our world is so sinister. Even the worldling says this, are you gonna have a come to Jesus moment? Have you heard that? People tossing that, come to Jesus. And it's, if, I'm, if I'm Satan, I would love people just you know, saying something flippant like that because really the truth is you will go to hell unless you 
come to Jesus. So you have to come to Jesus or else you're on your own, you're a little chiclet that has no defense. You think you do, but you don't. And the defense is against our own sin and our destination, eternal destruction and hell. So no wonder a loving God is trying to woo us. Uh, I, I hear the heart of the Lord in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack or lazy concerning the promise of his coming, as some men count slackness or laziness. But it says, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. The heart of the Lord is to say, I want to save everybody. But he gave you that tricky little free will, whether you're going to choose to accept and follow and be under the covering of his wing, or if you're gonna be vulnerable and on your own the day you have to stand before God. Well, I think that God loves me so much that he's just gonna love me and I don't have to accept Jesus and I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna be in heaven because God won't send people to hell. True, God doesn't send people to hell. You send yourself there and you did a really good job of that. That's one thing you're really good at and so am I. We're really good at sinning and doing sinful stuff and the wages of sin is death and hell. But there's the loving God saying, oh, I would that none should perish, but all would come uh, to repentance and to accept salvation. So don't be goofed on this. Don't make a goof on this one where you think, well, uh, I'm just gonna let it all happen the way without any repentance, without any turning. No, the Bible requires you and me to be saved. Now to be saved, why do you have to go through Jesus? The answer is because Jesus took the penalty for you. He doesn't just wink at your sins and say, well, I'll let you in just because I'm a nice guy. No, he says, I'm gonna let you in because I took the penalty on your behalf. I took the heat. Speaking of chickens, I'll end with this. Um, it was Dr. Uh, Donald Barnhouse. Does anybody know who Dr. Don Donald Barnhouse is? You have some books of his. I, I, I like reading Barnhouse's uh, notes and, and some of the works that sermons he's done. But a couple generations ago, Dr. Barnhouse, um, he uh, tells a story of what happened to him when he was a boy living in the country and on his own little farm, kind of like my farm growing up. But he told of a large oak tree that was next to his barn that was struck by lightning. And the tree caught on fire and one of the branches dropped onto the barn roof and caught the barn on fire. And the Barnhouse family, they all ran out there and got the horses out and all the animals as much as they could. Um, but sadly, the, the barn eventually just collapsed and burned to the ground. The next day, little Barnhouse was a child at the time. He was rummaging around the burnt debris, seeing if there was anything salvageable from the fire. Um, but he kicked around the ashes as he kicked a rather large clump much to surprise, four little chicks ran out in all directions from under the clump. He later uh, learned that the mother hen was that clump. Trapped in the burning barn, the mother hen, um, you know, did what mother hens instinctively do. She gathered her chicks under her wings and absorbed the heat herself and sort of gave her life to save her little chicks. And that stuck with Barnhouse for years, so much so that he realized that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He took the heat for us. He, that's why he died on the cross. You and I deserve that. That's where we were headed. But God loved us so much and he tried to lovingly woo us to himself. Come to me under the shadow of my wing. And you could say, I will not. That's what the Jews did. That's why their temple was destroyed. And that's why for centuries the Jews have been in limbo. But truly, Jesus is inviting all of us to be under the shadow of his wing. And the question is, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna accept Jesus? Are you gonna you know, let your stubborn will 
go for a second and say, I, I need to be saved. I need to accept Jesus. I need to have him cover. Because apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved than that of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. So may the Lord give us a heart to be repentant and to turn our will from stubborn, hardened will to a soft will saying, Lord, cover, cover me. And he will do that. If you ask and accept Romans 10, verse nine and 10, tells us how to do it. Um, you will be saved if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sin and accept that and, and submit your will and repent of your sin and say, okay, Lord. It doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect because if that was what was required, how many of us would go to heaven? None of us. Um, so it's not you being perfect, it's you being perfectly forgiven that is what's required. And Jesus is there to say, I'll gather you under my wing and I'll take care of that. But you have to accept that. May the Lord give us ears to hear. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And um, I pray that you'd soften even the hardest of personalities, maybe here or watching online, Lord, this service. I pray that you would help us to see the need to be saved and to be under the covering of your wing. Your wing being the truth of your word, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would save souls even now. Lord, for the Christians, longtime Christians, help us not to become callous, hearing another sermon and just kind of going on in our sinful way. But because, Lord, we, we want to remain. We want to abide in the vine. We want to abide under the shadow of your wing and stay there. Um, so help us, Lord, not to become callous. But for the unsaved, Lord, would you just cause them to see their need for salvation? Tap them on the shoulder, Lord, and that they would know that you're wooing them to, them, to, to be saved to come in for protection and salvation. If you would, just keep your heads bowed. Christians, would you be praying? And I'm just gonna ask, would you wanna accept Jesus Christ? And maybe you've been stubborn for whatever reason. Maybe you, you uh, had weird excuses that really have nothing to do with anything. I, I find it amazing. People say, I don't know if I wanna be under Jesus' protection because I don't like Christian people. Um, what does that have to do with anything? Christian people are the ones, we're the, the sinners who have actually come, we're no better than you, maybe worse, but we did come to Jesus for protection. It really has nothing to do with the church or Christians or, uh, it's, it's like we can miss the, the, the rescue just because of stubborn preconceived ideas. Don't let that happen. But if you're saying, Brad, I, I hear you, I, I know I'm a sinner, I wanna repent of my sins, and I wanna accept the loving invitation that Jesus gives to come unto him, the invitation to be saved. If you take that, then you and I can confess Christ right here and now and you can be saved. It's with confession with the mouth and belief in the heart that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. It says you will be saved. Romans 10, verse nine and 10 makes that clear. So if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to do something here. If, if that's you, I won't embarrass you. Everybody else is with their head bowed praying right now. But if that's you, would you acknowledge that? Say, Brett, I wanna accept Christ this, this morning. If that's you, would you just acknowledge that between you, me and the Lord and lift up your hand? Awesome, cool, way back there, I see you guys, good, good, good. Let me just look around over here, I see you and you and you, good. Don't let me miss you, I'm just gonna make sure, awesome, good, good, good. Cool, back here, don't let me miss you guys, awesome. I'm gonna say this prayer of confession, the whole church, we're gonna pray this out loud, um, but know this, if you pray this with your heart, to the Lord, it's just as simple as that. Well, Brett, how is it so simple that I'm saved from hell? 
Well, it's simple for you, but he did all the work. Jesus said when he died on the cross, it is finished. What was finished? The work of salvation was done by him. That's why it seems easy for us, um, but it was the Lord Jesus that did the work for us. He's covering you with his wing of salvation. So let's accept that right now. Would you just confess this with me, church? Let's pray this out loud together. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And so, Lord, as these people have just confessed you, um, Lord, would you reveal your great love and forgiveness to them? May they know that their sins aren't held against their account. Um, and Lord, I pray that you just give them a, a, just a fresh outlook on life, that they'd hunger and thirst for things that are righteous and follow after your way and your truth. Lord, bless them. Uh, bless this whole congregation. Lord, we thank you for being a, a, a God who cares and loves us and wants to put us under the shadow of your wing. We, we're thankful for that, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.